express my gratitude for the opportunity to stand here this morning and request that you pray for me as I try to preach. It's a good thing to be in the house of the Lord, but we need the Lord to be with us. As I always say, because it's always true, for we can do nothing without Him. We come here to worship, but all is vain, except the Spirit of the Holy One come down. You did put me in mind of something, brother, and I appreciate that. The one that was saved a week or so after we were in Botswana died a week or two after that. And just think about that. To be, and he's a young man. And just so shortly afterwards. But he was saved, as it were, in the nick of time. I guess that would teach us not to count on many days. But to, uh, to be earnest in our services towards God. Because when we die, the opportunity to serve him for anything profitable to us is over with. In a new world, we'll serve him, and all of us will, as, as we ought. But the ones that fail to in this world will never have that opportunity. I, I guess that's theologically correct. I'm not sure I hadn't thought that out. But I do know that we need to be diligent as we seek to serve God. And that is, in a sense, the message that's on my heart this morning. I do appreciate the church for putting up with me here. I appreciate the excellent Sunday school message that we had, brother. Thank you for that. And brother Curtis for the introduction. Pray for me. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 2, beginning in, uh, in verse, four, four, verse 13. What thing shall I take to witness for thee? What thing shall I liken to thee, O daughter of Jerusalem? What shall I equal to thee that I might comfort thee? O virgin daughter of Zion, for thy breach is great like the sea. Who can heal thee? Thy prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee, and they have not discovered thine iniquity. To turn away thy captivity, but have seen for thee false burdens and causes of banishment. All that pass by clap their hands at thee. They hiss and wag their head at the daughter of Jerusalem, saying, Is this the city that men call the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? And then for our text, I trust that the Lord has, uh, has directed my heart the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 7. And uh, beginning in verse 31. The Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace, calling to one another and saying, We pipe for you and you have not danced. We mourn for you and you have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking wine, and ye say, He hath a devil. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking. And you say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. And one of the Pharisees desired him, that he would eat with him. 
And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. Behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. I'll stop the reading there and try to preach what's on my heart. Now in our reading lesson, I think the same one that was lamenting over the condition of the daughter of Jerusalem is the same one who is lamenting, if you will, or trying to find words to describe what is going on in front of his eyes. So back in that day, when the Lamentations was written and inspired of God, he's trying to find language to describe the problem that he sees and how so much that, that uh, Israel had fallen to the point of being carried off captive to Babylon despite how many prophets had been sent, no matter how many sermons had been preached, no matter how, how many blessings God had poured out upon that nation, Yet they listened to the false prophets that would not discover their sin, that would not teach them, <laughs> teach them about how much they needed God and how much they needed to repent and what they needed to repent of. And now he stands, the same one that inspired it, here now veiled in flesh, having taken upon his divine nature our human nature, and yet without sin. He spent some maybe one and a half years into his ministry at this point. So we've entered into what, well, I won't even go there, but uh, there was a prophecy concerning this, but I'll leave that. I mean, come down here to help us, not just to teach us, but to save us. Not just to heal the sick, but to heal the hearts of men. He had said, John, before him, bring down the high places and, and bring up the low places and to uh, and declare the acceptable year of the Lord. And, and now he's in prison. And about to be put to death. He's out here. These people, the disciples from John are there asking, are you the one we're looking for? How little people understand things when it's happening right in front of their face. If it has to do with the kingdom of God and its king, Jesus Christ, our eyes and minds are blinded to what's all around us. Brethren, it is yet so. He looks over that. And I won't go through it all. This very morning, I got this sermon, I guess, Monday. This morning when I woke up, I was terrified of coming here. <laughs> I don't know why that was, but I was. And I began to read this, and I noticed something that terrified me more. Because in a sense, this... What the message I have today reflects 20 months ago when I stood in this very pulpit and preached about these very sayings, but now this continues on past those sayings. And I thought, oh goodness, they're going to think I preach the same thing all the time. And you know, and sometimes I do preach the same thing. But I'm not going to worry about that. The Lord gave me this, and I'm going to try to preach through it. He looks at these people and says, what are you like? How can I say something that will reach you? He said, how can I compare you to something? And he's grasping and he, and he knows because his mind always dwells in the scriptures which he inspired. He, almost everything Jesus spoke, if we had the, the right knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures, are, it's already there in either direct form or in a compilation, a divine compilation of many things that are said concerning him and concerning us. His mind always reversed the scripture. And here, it seems to go back to that passage in Lamentation. What am I going to say about you? But yet this generation, it's a different generation. 
It's, it's 500 years or so, or maybe six from that point. Probably, probably six or more, 100 years. People don't change a lot, do we? Our behavior is the same. So is God's. He says, you're like children. Here's what you're like. You're like children playing. You're playing games. You know, you, you play like you're going to a funeral and then you, so everybody will mourn. And so we mourn for you and you didn't want to play. Okay, and then he says, he says, well, then you play like it's a wedding. And so we're going to have, we have music, we'll have pipes and we pipe for you, but, but you didn't want that either. Indicating that it would seem that God can't please the sinful world that has only a, a child play attitude at, at finding God that is not serious in their search for life and serious in their search for the forgiveness of sin without which life cannot be. Those of us all of us born dead in sin and trespass, not feeling that sin, not having that sin discovered to us by the preaching of the truth. We just wallow in darkness and we sit in the, in the shadow of death and darkness and do nothing with the life and the flesh that God has given us, though our spirits be dead. And he looks upon that and he says, what nonsense, what, what child's play. The brother that was saved just a week after we left and died a week or so later, his name was White. He got it, but just in time. <clears throat> so, having failed thus far, and I'm not attributing any failure to our Lord, but there's a failure in the people that hear Him. There is still a failure in people who hear what God tries to teach us in this book and through the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and, and how we, we lift Him up as, a, as the Lamb of God that takes away your sins. And yet... People fail. Having not reached them thus far. I don't think he invents this story, but he inspires Luke to show what happens right after he said these words in which he opined that people are just playing at church. They're just playing at it. They're not serious about it. Brothers, we need to be careful that we don't play church. We know the gospel does not come in words, but in power. If it's really going to help people, God must be here. We must invite Him to our house. And when He comes, we must diligently pray for the lost and the dying of this world. Because if we do not, There's an accounting that we have to give for God for how we spent our time from the time He saved us until the time He calls us back. We have to give an account. It says of every idle word. Sinners that are here, anyone that's here that's lost, I don't know if there's anybody lost, but there may be someone that's lost here. Let me warn you in advance of this, of this story that comes up. I was preaching it last night to, uh, to Alaska via the internet. But in real time. Just how seriously should you take the gospel? Or, or how, how long will you, will you play around with the precious truth that God has given you concerning the one remedy for your lost and ruined condition. 
Here's what Jesus had to say about that. And it's in very clear and express language. He makes no apology for what he says, so I will not apologize for him. In Mark chapter 9, regarding entrance or an attempt to enter into the kingdom of God, he starts speaking about those impediments which might keep you from entering the kingdom of God. And speaking of those, in verse 45, here's all, it's all in red letters. It's what he said. He says, I'm sorry, verse 43. And if thy hand offend you, cut it off. It's better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two good hands go into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and their fire is not quenched. Threefold he brings this message back to back. If thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It's better for you to enter halt into life. It means crippled. Than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not. And the fire is not quenched. I want you to hear by this just how seriously Jesus takes the issue of, of, the, of the heart's response to the gospel, the good news of God coming into this world to save sinners who would rather just play around with that and not make a wholehearted search until they find God. He tells us in one place in the Old Testament, it says, Ye shall seek me, and you shall find me, when you search for me with all your heart. You say you've been searching for God. Not by His definition. Not to any way that's going to happen until you wholeheartedly Search for Him, not with your mind or your actions or, or the ceremonies you might engage, but for, uh, from the very heart of hearts, the very soul that is within you. You seek out and find the life that has come into the world in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ who gave His life for you. He was not half-hearted when He came down here to help you, you cannot be half-hearted when you seek to find that help for which He paid such a dear and dreadful price. So let's quickly turn back to our text. So after saying what He said, we read in verse 36 of of Luke 7, that one of the Pharisees that was present desired him. He rest, Basically, he, he invited him over for dinner. That's, that's about it in straight talk. He just invites him over for dinner. And uh, so he goes. You know, Jesus, uh, <laughs> he's the only holy one there is, but he is, he is pleased to meet with the people that he has come to save. Whether they be saint, whether they be sinner, because saints ain't nothing but forgiven sinners. We're all sinners. Some of us get saved, some do not. But He wants them all to be saved. He's not willing that any one of them should perish, but that every one of them should come into repentance. So He goes to the house. He sits down to eat. He's not treated very well by His host. But we will get into that as He does in the course of this text. 
But what is drawn to our attention now, what Jesus wants us to see, since we can't understand John the Baptist, which it seems so clear to us, or Jesus, which now seems so clear to us, but they couldn't then, and I still don't know that we can. The urgency and the seriousness of seeking after God with all your heart, he now shows us one person who did. I think she did. I think she saw God. So he says, behold. He sets out a signpost. He says, look at this woman. See in her what thou thyself must do. Because surely she got saved. Now some people will say she was already saved. I can't look on a heart today and tell when or if a person has been saved other than my own. How much less a person 2,000 <laughs> years ago. But I will say this. They, someone might say, well, this it says, Behold a woman in the city which was a sinner. It doesn't, I mean, we're all sinners. It draws attention to the fact she's a sinner. Jesus, in the parable that he shortly gives, he, she, he makes her to be a 500 pence sinner compared to the Pharisee Simon who is, well, he's only five pence. So she's a great sinner. We don't know what her sins are. You can guess all you want. But folks, we're all great sinners. We are. Some of us are ignorant of our sin. Others of us, the Lord has opened our heart to a rightful understanding of, of just what we were and yet even are in the flesh. Great sinners. This great sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, how did she know to come? How did she come to Christ? The Bible tells us that. Jesus tells us that. No man can come unto me except the Father which sent him draw me. People came into his presence, but the ones that came into his presence and got saved were drawn to him. It's a spiritual thing. If you're, if you're lost and, and sometime, somehow by the, the grace and the blessings of God, He, he, he does something in your heart which, which pulls you towards Jesus. That's a drawing of the Father. You're pulled to Jesus because He's the only Savior that there is. No one can help you but Him. Not in this great affair. When she knew that, that he was... So, in my mind, and I don't know when she was saved, but I know one thing. If you go back to Matthew's account of this, as soon as he started talking about the children, you know, like children in a marketplace, he gave that great invita invitation, which I tried to preach on here 20 months ago. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. For I am being and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your soul. If you come to Jesus like she came to Jesus, you'll find rest. I would guess that she had heard that, because it's in the same town. It was at the very end of this discourse that he got invited to the Pharisee's house. So he goes, and she hears he's going there, and he said, Come to me. She's a sinner, she's heavy laden. She, she's, she's bowed down with sin. She's a 500 pence sinner, whatever that means. She's bad. She knows she's bad. He's at the Pharisee's house. What a risk. Everybody knows her. And it's a little town. Everybody knows her. We don't know the town. But it sounds small. He had sent his disciples out, the 12, to preach the gospel and to cast out devils. And then he begins to go to the cities where they had preached. This is one of those cities. We don't, it's not named. We don't know the name of the city. We don't know, we don't know the name of the woman. The only name we have here, of course, is Jesus and the Pharisee. His name is Simon. But she must have heard that. She must have felt that. And the Father must have drawn her to the life that has come into the world. Our Lord Jesus Christ. Feeling the death that's in her heart as it proved by the Spirit of God and drawing her to repentance, which means drawing her to Christ. She goes, not mindful of what 
the, the stares are going to be and the astonishment in the Pharisees' eyes and in the, in the, in the guests of that household that went to that holy man, <laughs> this great man of God, this Pharisee, this, this Simon who doubtless made broad his phylacteries and, and stood on the corners and prayed out loud and just like all the, the false religionists of the world who tried to put on a show. She came. She was going to let nothing stop her from coming to Jesus. If you're lost, you must let nothing stop you. Nothing. I can't admit a bunch of things. There's a million reasons why people don't come. Go for the reason that you must come so that you might have life. Because you're dead now. Sure enough, it's sin and it trespass against God. You may cover it well, but God knows it. He draws you to Christ, you'd better go. She heard he was at the house, and so she goes there. She brings with her an alabaster box of ointment, probably a precious oil, an aromatic one, I don't know. Maybe thinking that if I'm going to go to him, I need to bring something with me. And that's how we think often when we're lost. We, we've got to bring him some good thing we've done or some good thing we've thought or, or some hope that we want to express. Somehow we've got to bring him something. But we do have that good song that says, Just as I am without one plea. That's where we finally find ourselves. And I think that's where she very quickly found herself. She works her way through that house. She goes right past all the stairs and, and whatever other noise might be brought about by this notorious sinner coming into this meal. And understand that at that day, the custom was for the people at the table to be sitting on like a little half couch. They're reclining. Jesus is reclining to eat. He's probably propped up on one end and his feet are on out the other, but he's in a basically horizontal position, or about half of them is anyway. And so she comes up behind him. But where behind him? To his feet. Now maybe that's just where she could get a space to come in. I don't know. But the whole story puts me in mind of one that Jesus tells. He talks about a Pharisee and a publican who also go to the temple to pray. And we know the story and what the Pharisee said, and we know what the publican did. He would not so much as lift up his eyes to heaven. That means he's bowed over and he smote his breast as though trying to mortify the whole put to death the sin that's in him. This is how a contrite person comes to Jesus. Because they feel the weight and the, the guilt and the burden of, of sin un, unforgiven. He smokes his breast and, and he won't look up. And he begs Jesus for, for mercy. And he goes home justified. This woman comes. She comes to the, the least part, if you will. The part most in common with herself. If anything... if. If we have anything in common with Jesus, I'm going to beg your forbearance, but she was dirty and filthy inside. And his feet were dirty on the outside because they had not been washed by his host. A custom almost universally practiced in that part of the world. If you invite someone over for dinner, either you or one of your servants, wash their feet. He's the guest of honor. And his feet aren't washed. And here she is. She's all dirty inside. Drawn by God to Christ. She approaches from behind. So he's not looking at her. He's not saying a word to her. She's not speaking a word to him. She gets to his feet. She's standing, it says. She stands at his feet. And she weeps. She weeps. Jesus said in the Sermon of the Mount, Blessed are they which mourn, 
for they shall be comforted. Amen. We have what we call a mourner's bench. The people who, who thought about that understood that sinners, if they're going to find Christ, have to mourn over their ruined condition. I mean mourn down in their hearts. Whether she understood that or not, she wept. And it wasn't one of these pretty lady weepings where she just touches a tear. She's weeping enough where it, it, it wets his feet with tears. And that type of weeping, I've done it since I've been saved. I, I have wept like that. Uncontrollably. It also involves your nose and what comes out of that. It's, it's a mess. It's not a pretty weeping, but it's real. It's coming from a heart that's broken and in full acknowledgement of, of sin and a corruption that has defiled her from the inside out. So she's standing there weeping and you can't see too much when your eyes are filled with tears like that, but at some point, some point she must have gotten close enough to see. And I, and I conjecture that somehow in the weeping, she falls to her knees at his feet. Because then she sees, doesn't say she saw it, but she took her hair down when she saw that her, his feet were muddy from her tears. She dries them with the head of her She is now down on the ground. Touching his feet, wiping them. After she's washed them with tears, she's wiped them with the hair. The woman's glory is her hair. With the glory, with all the best that she's got in her person, she's down there at his feet. Understand, this is how we come to Christ. It's a perfect picture of it. Even if we're saved, we got to get humble. He's just as holy as he ever was. Our flesh is just as weak as it ever was. To have him come into our presence, to expect something from him, we got to get real with him. It's hard to do. It's one of the reasons we don't seek him because we know how hard it is, and yet that is our reasonable service to do that. So She's on her knees, no doubt. Not a glance from him. If she takes her hair and it cleans and dries his feet from, from the mess that she's made. What does it say? And she kissed his feet. Now when you start kissing somebody's feet, you love them. You do. You love them. She had gone from someone who was not in love with Jesus but who was being drawn to Jesus as the one remedy for her problem, being heavy laden with sin. She goes to Him for help. And He helps her right then and there. Down there on the ground. She starts drawing Him, and she starts kissing His feet. She is in love with the person of God in the flesh. You know, I think about, I mean, we know as the church and as the churches around here that we can do nothing without God. And just like Simon, and I probably should hold this up for it, but just so we'll think about it when the time comes, Simon invited God into his house. He didn't know he had, but he had invited God in the flesh in whom dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He walked God into the house of sinners, into a house belonging to a hard-hearted sinner. And along comes one whose heart is broken. And she comes there kissing his feet. What a spectacle. And then she... It's almost as an afterthought, that little gift she thought of. Now she gladly breaks that box of alabaster and she starts putting what is probably precious, expensive ointment on his feet. She doesn't dare go to the head. She's not worthy. And she knows it. She knows it. Having been saved, she, she knows 
how unworthy she is of, of the least of the mercies of this great one. But, but she kisses his feet and she anoints his feet with oil. Well now, he shows us something of what it means to wholeheartedly come to him and of the mercies. And they are spelled out here in just a little bit that come to those who do. So now in 39 it says, Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself. I guess not having the courage, or maybe he's too polite to just say out loud what was on his heart. But God knows what's in man. He knows what's in you. He knows every thought you've got. He knows every action you've taken. All these things are naked and open to him with whom we have to do. He knew this man. No doubt he came to his house and accepted that invitation because he wanted Simon also to be saved. He saves hard-hearted sinners and he saves those whose hearts have been broken. But he's got to break their heart. And Simon's heart's got to be broken. And he goes about doing it. But he hears without Simon saying, this is all silent so far. We've heard of no other words. And we think about this woman probably being saved at that very point of a song. I meant to look up the writer of it, but it's, it's a precious song. O little town of Bethlehem. That's a precious song. Because in one verse it says, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given where God imparts to human hearts the blessings of His heaven. No ear may hear His coming. But in this world of sin, where meek folks will receive Him, still the dear Christ enters in. What a wonderful sentiment. God must have helped that person write that one. Silence so far, not a glance to the woman. But now, seeing what's in the Pharisee's heart, he breaks his silence. Not to the woman. Says nothing to her. But he turns to Simon. And Jesus, oh, what did Simon think? Let's tell it. It says what he sees. This man, Simon thinks, talking about Jesus, if he were a prophet, he would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. It's like, everybody knows she's a sinner. Surely a prophet would know. True. A prophet, a true prophet of God was given such discernment. And certainly Christ was the greatest of the prophets of God, and he knows exactly who she is. Where Simon's mistake was to think that God would make himself untouchable by sinners. That is not true. You could be ever so vile. And yet Christ will let you come to Him. If you come with a broken heart, He'll save your soul alive. He wants to do that. He wants you to want Him to do that with all your heart. And when you do, you'll be saved. But a half-hearted approach won't work. That's not what this woman did. That's not what you should do. I need to hurry. So Simon answering. Answers the thing that was never spoken by this man which ought to clue him in pretty quick that he is indeed talking to a prophet. He gives his exact thoughts. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. Master, go on, or go ahead, say it, is what he says. So Simon says, Master, say on. So he gives this parable. Maybe it's an account. I don't know. It says it was a certain one. We don't know, though. He says there was a certain creditor, means a lender, which had two debtors, those who owed. The one owed 500 pence, the other owed 50. And when they had nothing to pay, now that's us, we got nothing to pay, and we owe a great debt. The wages of our sin is death. The only way we can pay him is with our life, or through Jesus' life. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me therefore, he tells Simon, which of them will love him the most? Now here Simon is. He probably has no idea that, of the setup. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that Jesus is that, but he is. He, in a sense, he catches him in his own guilt and to his own shame. 
and to the shame of him in front of that whole assembly there. He, he really does take this man down because of his guilt. Not so much for his discourtesy to our Lord, which he names, but for his hard-heartedness towards this woman, which should never have been there. Obviously, she was broken-hearted. She was weeping. She was contrite. She was repentant. And this man, all she thinks about, all he thinks about is that she's a sinner in his house making a scene right there in front of his table. Simon, answering his question, which would love him the most, says, Oh, I suppose. <laughs> well, he knows good and well, but he says, I suppose he to whom he forgave the most. And Jesus just as properly says, Thou hast rightly judged. I mean, obviously the one who was forgiven the most. Many of you have heard my testimony, and I don't pretend to give it here. I'm not going to try to. We don't have time. But he gave me of a lot, and he, made, he forgave me of a lot, and he let me know of how much it was. And I will say this, there have been times I have loved him with all my heart. Every time he brings to my recollection through his spirit all those forgiven sins, it just tears me up with love and thankfulness. I think even if you were saved when you were six, even with such little sins, the five pence type folks. If you really seek out God, He will reveal that right inside that little old heart when it got saved at six years old, there was a world of blackness and sin just waiting to grow. He saved you from that which you had not yet done. I think it's true as well. But I'll also say this. You've got to know where you are if you're going to be saved. You've got to feel that sin. It's got to be brought on you by the Spirit of God, and when it does, you must not flee from it, but you must flee to Christ. I've got to hurry. So then, you know, he says, you've rightly judged. So now for the first time, he looks at the woman. He turns to the woman. He's not facing Simon. He's talking to Simon, but he's looking at that woman. Boy, don't you know she was happy to see his gaze. <laughs> She'd been kissing his feet, and now... Now, there he is. God is looking at her. See us how this woman, I entered into thine house at his request, and you gave me no water for my feet. Not only did you not wash him, you didn't even put a pan out. You didn't do anything. I got all this dirt on my feet. But she washed my feet with tears. She wiped them with the hairs of her head. You gave me no kiss, also customary. But this woman, since the time I came in, see, she came early. Since the time I came in, she came when he came. I mean, it, she, she saw him quick. Since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint. See the See the wickedness on our part for not doing proper service to Jesus. How many times did we ask Him to come in and we didn't kiss Him with our heart? How many times has He come to our service and we knew He was there and yet we did not in our hearts give Him the love and thankfulness that we owe Him? I mean, we can't give Him what we owe, but we can give Him what we've got. When we beg him to come into this house, and he comes into this house, boy, we better be grateful to him or he may not come back. She's not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, also customary for an honored guest. But this woman hath anointed my feet, the least part of me, with ointment. Now she's hearing all this even though he's not talking to her. Wherefore I say unto you, now she's watching his mouth, speaking to Simon, wherefore I say unto you, her sins, which are many, they're forgiven. For she loved much, and to whom 
Little is forgiven, for she loved much. Okay. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Now he could say, you don't love me at all, Simon, and nothing's going to be forgiven. But he did give him something because he at least invited Christ into his house. And he still has hopes for this man. He does not want to utterly dash him to the ground, so he, he gives him as much kindness as he can. <laughs> and he says, not a lot of forgiveness because you don't love me much. But he needs a lot of forgiveness. See, that's the problem. And he said unto her, now he speaks, thy sins are forgiven. <laughs> when he had saved me and given peace into my heart, and I was so confused by having peace in my heart that I hadn't had since I was a child. And here I was, nearly 42, and suddenly that peace is in my heart, even greater than I had as a child when I didn't have a care in the world. And where did that come from? And, and I finally asked him, did you save me? Well, he let me know that he did. And he eventually told me those very words, I have forgiven these, speaking of my sins, which have been on my mind. Thy sins are forgiven. He didn't say it to my ears. That's not what he's saying. He doesn't say my ears. <laughs> he's saying my heart. And he speaks to the heart. And he requires the heart when you go to him. Not the brain, not the actions of the hands. But what's inside of you must go to Christ. Thy sins are forgiven, he says to her. And they that said it meet with him. Now understand, before I even read this, this sounds totally normal to us 2,000 years ago knowing that Christ is God and the forgiver of sins, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But people back then just, they had a real problem with a man forgiving somebody's sins. But he does it without a second thought. He talks about it as though it's a matter of course. And you know why I think that is? I think he's been saving sinners ever since Abel got saved. <laughs> I think he's been forgiving sins before he came into this world in flesh and blood. I think he is the only forgiver of sins and he has revealed it to the hearts of the people he saved in the same way through the Spirit bearing witness with their spirits that they are the children of God and their sins have been forgiven. That is still the only way that you can know it and know it for sure is for God to reveal it in your heart. So with Peter, also with us. They begin to say within themselves, Who is this that forgives of sins also? Boy, they didn't like it. But that did not stop him. Now he's looking at the woman and talking to the woman. And he just talks to the woman. He says, uh, he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Not your ointment, not your tears. As wonderful as they were, he that soweth in tears shall reap in mercy. And they do, but it's by grace of God, unmerited favor, through faith. At some point, she trusted him. My point, when that happened, it was instantaneous. The thought had come, you know, he is going to save me someday. Right then, it, it, I, I knew he was going to save me. That first time that ever been in my mind that I'd prayed a prayer and I thought, you know, he is. He's going to do it. <laughs> I thought it might be 20 years from now if I live that long, but he'll do it. And right then, he did it. Suddenly, I believed, and instantly I was saved. And my sins were forgiven. I had peace with God. The burden was gone. And I had rest. My faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. Shalom. <laughs> Have a nice day. Have peace in your heart. The very thing that I've been trying to give this wicked world who wants to play at religion, here you come showing the world what it really means to come with a full heart and a contrite spirit seeking the mercy of God. I mean, your pastor's not here. Would it be appropriate for me to give an altar call to anyone that, could we have a song then?
and while they're getting that. I don't know if you've sought the Lord before. I think some of you have, but I'm not sure. If you have sought Him and not found Him, your heart wasn't right. It's just that simple. And you can't fix your heart. You've got to go to the Lord. But, but with what heart you've got, you have to go believing that Jesus will have mercy upon you. Why would He not? He has said that He would. He that cometh to me, I will no wise cast out. Is what He says. If you come humbly with a broken heart, a contrite spirit, meaning it's crushed like this woman, He'll save you. He'll save you. Certain. Sure. He will. When you seek with all your heart, He says, give it your whole heart. Remember what He told us there in Mark chapter 9. If your hand offends, cut it off. If your foot offends, cut it off. Pluck out your eye. Because you don't want to go to that place where the worm doesn't die. And the fire's not quenched. It's real. Jesus would not have told us about it. I don't know what that fire is. But I know that God Himself is a consuming fire. And in Lamentations chapter 1, which we didn't read, I think speaking of Jesus, He says, For He has sent from above, He has sent fire into my bones and it hath prevailed against them. Christ died at the hands of the Father who punished him, not for his sin, because he didn't have a one of them, but for our sin. It wasn't just the stripes. It wasn't just the Romans. It wasn't just the nails. I think maybe in three hours on the cross of daylight, you could chalk it up to them, but in those hours of darkness, a thing we cannot fully understand. I think the wrath of God was poured into him. All of our sins compressed into one scapegoat. And all the wrath of God as he's reconciling the world unto himself. As he spares not his own son. Burns him up inside. Until at the end of those hours of darkness, he cries out, My God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then the instant the answer comes back, it's finished. <laughs> it's done. Yeah. He says, Father, into thy hand, I commend my spirit. Yeah. He laid down his life because it could not be taken from him because he's God. He had the power to lay it down. He had the power to take it up again. He laid it down. He took it up again on the third day. Hallelujah for that. Amen. For all the coming wonders that that resurrection will bring. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to see? I don't care how long you've sought. It's worth the see. It's worth anything. It's worth your, your hand and your eye and your leg. It's worth everything. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his self? That's what soul means. Lose yourself to sin. Don't let it happen. While we stand and sing, won't you come and won't you seek God? 191.